because you're jumping back into the gut. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Archbishop Mitty head coach Sue Phillips to the basketball podcast. Phillips, who is also a math teacher, has coached more than 50 players, went on to play in Division I, and has more coaching wins than any girls' high school basketball coach in North California history at 760 plus and counting. The tradition of excellence she has established has led to 33 league titles, 30 Central Coast section titles, 14 NorCal championships, six CIF state titles, and her 2018 team earned top national rankings from ESPN, Max Preps, and USA Today, and was declared the mythical national champion by USA Today and ESPNW. Phillips has been named National Coach of the Year by the WBCA, Naismith, and Gatorade, and in 2019 coached the McDonald's All-America game. She won gold medals with USA Basketball Under-16 National Team at the 2013 FIBA Americas Tournament and the Under-17 team at the 2014 FIBA World Cup. This summer, she won under-17 gold again at the FIBA World Cup in Hungary. Coach Phillips, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm looking forward to talking some hoops. Well, I'm looking forward to it too, as well. And uh, just incredible success at many different levels. And uh, I want to dive deep into some program building. And I want to start with one thing that you said. And I want you to explain this a little bit more for us, if you would. Build a program and guard against building a season. Well, especially at the high school level, um, when you're charged with managing all three levels, I think as a as a maybe a young or inexperienced varsity coach, you might have a tendency to try to hoard all the talent um, on one team and try to think about how we can be as successful as we can in one season. And yet, if we don't guard against this notion of building a program and thinking that, you know, we need to develop the players and place them on a team where they're going to vie for quality game minutes. So kind of basically like, you know, you have a, a great freshman and if that freshman isn't in your top eight to start the season, then I would really, you know, uh, maybe take a closer look as to whether or not that that particular player would be better suited to play freshman or JV. Um, and and we we have a program like a triangle. So it isn't a ladder. Like you go from freshman to JV and JV to varsity. We do um, both the freshman and JV feed into the varsity. Um, and every day we have an hour, which we call split shift, where we take three to four JV or freshman players that practice an hour with us and then an hour with their particular team. So um, we take great pride in in looking at how our players develop over the course of four years and what's the best track for each and every individual player is might be different. And so, sure, it would be great to take all the the top talent in our program and put it on one team. And I, I work with the, or my staff, my staff and I work with those kids every day, but I think it's short-sighted, right? Well, well I love hearing this. And uh, this is really, I mean, there's so many things that you can offer us, but one is not just building excellence, but sustaining it. And that obviously comes back to a little bit what you just said. So maybe let's go a little bit deeper then. How do these players actually get into your program? Are you doing something at the feeder school level? I know you run the San Jose AAU program, some of these different things. So can you talk to us about uh, the beginning of this program before they even get there? So a huge believer of grassroots, right? And whether that's giving back to the game through USA Basketball Coach Academy or Regional Skills Camp, founded an AAU program called the San Jose Cagers over 20 years ago um, to basically do that, provide a quality coaching atmosphere in which we focus on development from grades four through 12. And while um, I think there's a lot of um, basketball heads out there that feel we should be doing this 12 months out of the year, in particular, especially with the fifth graders, fourth graders, we offer the program for three to four months out, out of the year. We, we certainly want to encourage them to play other sports and, and get involved in other activities, uh, keep them healthy between the ears as well as, you know, with their bodies. Um, and so we try to 
have these players be exposed to a game in a positive atmosphere, taught the fundamentals, um, try to increase their basketball IQ. And so what happens is we don't, as being at a private Catholic high school, we don't necessarily have a feeder school per se. And um, while we do have some of the Catholic feeder schools in the San Jose Diocese that might apply to our school, it's not a, an automatic uh, direct lineage. So as a coach and coaching staff, we try to get out into the community to um, speak at coaching clinics or um, get out and coach in AAU uh, environments so that the community can get to know us and we can get to know them. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do is just grow the game uh, from the ground up and uh, really just try to put out there a, a great brand of basketball, both at the AA level and the high school level. Well, you've done that, obviously, for a very long time. And I think a part of that that uh, you just mentioned staff. I'm curious as well, from the grassroots development perspective, then uh, some of the best player development is obviously coaching development. So can you give us some insights in terms of how you help develop coaches within your area that help develop the players that are going to play for you? You know, I think, Chris, here, sitting here and and dialoguing about basketball is one of the ways I think we can um, encourage each other to get better. And I, I try to learn from everyone. I watch games. It's very rare that I can watch a game and be a fan. I am constantly watching a game, whether it's WNBA, NBA, high school, college, men, women. I'm watching the coach, the mid-game adjustments, the substitution patterns. What are the, what are the plays that are being called in certain scenarios? The style of play to utilize their personnel. Um, and so with, with our staff, we try to be an open book for each other and and provide each other feedback, not what we want to hear, but but what needs to be said. And so as a unit, uh, we're constantly there for each other. And I think it's important that my staff, all the way from the freshmen to the varsity, that they hear their voice and that all the players hear their voice and that they are uh, in charge of teaching things that they're comfortable with, that they feel um, that they're very knowledgeable about. And then my job is to kind of push them out there to do things where they're maybe not as comfortable. Um, and I am blessed with an incredible staff that um, a long line uh, and tradition of uh, people that have come through our program that have uh, made myself better, our players better. And currently, I have two former players on staff, which is a real treat. Um, another another one of my staff, longtime staff members, his sister played for me which is a, a really cool kind of connection. So he was younger than his sister and grew up seeing what a what a uh, inspiration his sister was. And, and she's now coaching at the collegiate level. So it's just fun. I think it's a it's a great uh, coaching tree that we've created. And uh, I just I love the game. I'm very passionate about uh, coaching and I'm just a basketball nut. I can watch it all the time and just I can't I'm too old to play it anymore. I think I'll, I'll bust a hamstring or. Or, or, same. I'm a basketball like nut. Yeah. And I don't play as much anymore. So I totally get that. Um, uh, you know, it may seem counterintuitive, but I, I think probably one of the things that has led to your sustaining success is that your players, even though you haven't lost a lot of games overall, they must have developed this resiliency and this understanding of how to deal with losses and how to deal with these difficult moments, because again, you've got through those moments so many times. So can you talk a little bit about how you shape that within such a successful program? So I'm a huge proponent of being comfortable with chaos. Hmm. And I, I can't for the life of me remember Michael Phelps, a swimming coach who decided he was going to kind of mess with Michael on the regular. And so he decided he was going to fill up his goggles with, with water and ask him to kind of figure it out and count the strokes. And lo and behold, it was, I don't remember which Olympic and whatever upteenth gold he won, but his his goggles fell up with water and, and he didn't skip a beat because he was comfortable with chaos. And so I think as a coach, it's important on the daily, on the regular, at practice, you are exposing your players to adverse circumstances, whether that you have them play with an underinflated ball and say, hey, you know, dribble less, pass more. Um, you swallow the whistle for a little bit. Say, hey, we're not going to get a call in the city. So get used to it. Um, or you become whistle happy and say, all right, well, that's a foul. You got to sub out. 
different things that we can do to have our players be comfortable with chaos. It, it does allow them to focus at the task at hand and rid them of excuse making and complaining. It's just, it's kind of like someone's in foul trouble. Someone has an injury. This is who we have. This is how we're going to function. These are the adjustments we're going to make. And we're not going to get emotionally riled up about it. It's just, it's like you mentioned, it's counterintuitive to um, to being present and functional at the time of a game. It's like when a when an official makes a call you might not be too happy about. I, I often chuckle at coaches who spend the entire time out talking with the official when they've missed an opportunity to coach their team and make some mid-game adjustment, adjustments. So, so yeah, it, it is part of our, our strategy as coaches um, to incorporate that as part of our practice plans. Uh, Bob, Bob Bauman is his coach. Yes. Bauman, I think, and uh, it just struck me. What a great example, by the way, and uh, your examples from basketball, but it also struck me that what you're essentially doing is you're normal, normalizing these realities for your players that yeah. these things may happen and we've dealt with them before. So it becomes normal. Can you also give us an idea of how you help these individual players? Because different ones will react differently to these situations with specific coping strategies to be able to handle these situations. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, you know, we, we, uh, I don't know, maybe about 15 years ago, I realized, okay, so now this is year 30, right? So what worked 30 years ago, I grew up under the era of, you know, the carrot or the stick. Well, stick isn't going to quite fly anymore. And so uh, about 15 years ago, I decided I needed to expand my motivational tactics, the way I communicated with my players, my staff. So I went back to school to get my degree in performance psychology. And one of the things um, that I learned in that, um, as, as we all probably assume and should know, but we don't, is that each player is going to react differently to the, to the things that you do. And we cannot have the attitude, it's my way or the highway. And so one of the things we talk about is you may not be feeling confident, but you can walk confidently. So, and that can be in the way, you know, chin up, shoulders back, um, proper posture. It's like you're extremely tired. You don't need to look tired. You don't have to have your hands on your knees. You don't need to cross your legs when you're standing. Um, we, we talk about facial expressions. So when there's this frustration, it's like, hey, we need to make sure that our facial expressions and our body language uh, is demonstrating this idea that we are determined. We're not discouraged. We're not frustrated. We're focused. And so there's, there is um, just these, these constant reminders with the players. Some, some have got it, you know, wired for sound more so than others. And and that's part of our job is is we're there to teach them and mentor them um, on how to manage these setbacks and these hiccups and um, just staying present and having that next play mentality can really help them um, stay present in the moment and guard against worrying about the future or focusing on a, a past setback. It's just it's it's really counterintuitive to what we're trying to do, which is. Just just uh, focus on the task at hand, whatever that is. And of course, part of performance psychology nowadays, uh, I mean, maybe a buzzword, but psychological safety and creating that environment where your players feel safe. But at the same time, you have to balance that with being able to push them and challenge them. Can you talk about that art of coaching that blends with that science? Yeah. You know, um, if you think of a, a Venn diagram and we we, we talk about we're not asking you to play mistake free. We're asking you to play, to be resilient. So in those moments, we want to be um, process based, not outcome based. So I said, okay, let's list what you think would be a terrible thing that could happen in a game. And so you know they'll immediately go miss shot, right? Or they'll say a foul, or they'll say a turnover, or um, you lose something. So and so when I explain to them, it's like you can actually have a list of things that are in incredibly uh, encouraged and applauded and rewarded from the standpoint of your coach is getting excited for you and yet they fall into that category. For example, let's say we got fouls to give and we actually want a foul in that scenario because we got fouls to give and we want to eat a little bit of the clock at the end of a quarter. Or maybe you know you're out of position. I'm going to foul on the block out 
instead of fouling on the putback, right? So they're both fouls, but fouling on the blockout is a is a better play. And that's actually a plot. It's like, hey, good job. We had a foul to give. You saved us an easy putback. Sometimes they're like, oh, I missed a shot. Well, that shot was in your wheelhouse. It was after ball, ball reversal. And a good shooter is still going to miss more shots than they actually make. So putting it in perspective about this idea of um, it can't just be about this outcome-based process in which we dis- determine whether or not we're we're making strides, we're being successful, I'm having a good day. If we can focus on the process about our effort, our attitude, our decision-making, I think is the biggest thing I work on with our kids on the regular, is what are the decisions we're making with the ball, without the ball, on offense, and then on defense. Um, that's how we really want them to play the game in a way in which we're making good decisions. Um, so like turnovers, we have three hierarchy, we have a hierarchy of turnovers. So, um, a bad decision is like the lower ring of a turnover. And we try to eliminate those in the first two months of a season. Then the second type of turnover is like a, a timing mechanism. Maybe, you know, they make a great read pressure release, they cut back door, great bounce pass. It's just past the fingertips of their teammate. Right. Or maybe it's it's the wrong kind of pass, right? But it's the right decision. Um, and then finally, what if you you make a great play, great read with the basketball, and then this this player does this incredible defensive play and covers thirty feet, you know, to get a steal? Well, it's a turnover, but I, but it was a great play by you, great decision, and you tip your cap to the opponent. So we try to get to this place where all of our turnovers are on that upper echelon where we're making great decisions, it's just, it didn't connect. Um, And as you know, a growth mindset is what you have to have to actually get better because you can't get better if you don't make mistakes. Well, you've referenced that, obviously, the the making mistakes. And then I love that idea of the categories of turnovers, because, again, especially that last part, which we don't ever account for the defense and that they sometimes make great plays, don't they? So that's yeah, sure. that's tremendous. Uh, I'm curious about your actual pr- practice and you reference change over the years. But, you know, traditionally, coaches love these perfectly organized practices. But I hear you reference a little bit of the chaos, the mess and stuff like that. So talk to us about what a practice looks like for you in this uh, modern era, knowing that you have to create some of these chaotic, messy situations. You know, the the chaotic and messy situations are how you manage, I think, the practice, right? Um, having a little bit of bandwidth for the craziness that might occur if you're playing, let's say you're playing, you're doing a drill that's disadvantage um, offense. So you're playing three on four or four on five, and you're trying to get them to manage um How do you handle a frenetic, chaotic defense that's trapping you everywhere? Can we eliminate the live ball turnover? Can we try to make a weak side diagonal pass in that scenario? Can we get a good shot off? Um, And so so to answer your question, the comfortable chaos, it might be the underinflated ball, but it often has to do with how we're creating these scenarios in practice that will just be a little bit frustrating a little bit um, as a disadvantage. And with every practice, we typically start every practice with some type of um, pressure shooting. So whether that's, um, you know, alternating low block scores, they have to do it in a certain amount of time. Um, We try to make practices competitive without becoming divisive. When you think about competition, people think like one versus one or, you know, three V three. And practices can be competitive by beating the clock or it's a numbers game. Or uh, two teams are trying to to do a shooting drill and they're trying to get a certain amount before the other team does. So we'll always start every practice with some type of competitive um, finishes, uh, either as a group or as a team. And and what I I like to do that is we like to set the tone, the tone of intensity, focus, and that that we are trying to be efficient in what we're trying to do. And we always have a passing drill. We always have defensive, some type of footwork. Um, ACL prevention or strengthening exercises. We do have a full-time strength coach, but we we want to make sure that we we um, understand that uh, in the women's game we have a, a higher incidence of the ACL injury, and so 
you know, making sure that we do some decelerations and and uh, lateral slides and landings and takeoffs all within those first, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Then then depending upon if it's the day before a game or we got a couple days, um, we'll mix in some lateral mobility defensively, uh, disadvantage defense, advantage offense. That's a part of every day. Uh, shell drill is a part of every day shooting. So. So Chris, it's 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 uh, and rebounding huge huge uh, fan of rebounding because it gains your team possessions. So I've I've uh, over the years have created some really fun creative rebounding drills that um, transition into like a rebound and run situation. So I'll, I'll name drop a Haley Jones for you. Yeah. Uh, when Haley was here at Archbishop Mitty, um, that's one of the things she does so well, right? Is is to rebound and run and and. It's part of what we preach, part of what we teach and rep here. Um, we like all five positions to be able to do that. Um, and, and you can't want that to happen on game day unless you actually rep it and teach it and um, provide your players with the skill set to be successful uh, in transition to make a good decision like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I try to make it different every day. I mean, yeah, we're going to work on rebounding every day, but I want that rebounding drill to be different. Um, and I think you also have to have some adaptability. If, uh, you're going through practice and they're having a rough spot about something, let the players call a timeout, work through it, or maybe you cut that drill short, revisit later, or, you know, call an audible and punt it for tomorrow. Um, cause at the end of the day, you too have to demonstrate the ability to be resilient. Um, and I'm fiery and intense. Don't get me wrong. Like I've, uh, patience is not my strength. Uh, and so as a coach, I've, I've have to work to, to, um, you know, digest some moments that I would rather say something. And instead I, you just got to write it out. Well, I want to come back to your intensity a little bit and touch on that, but we reference Haley Jones, obviously incredible career for you in Stanford and, uh, for players like that, you've coached so many unique players and talented players, um, at, you know, that reach their next level. I'm curious, how within the program are you supporting players from the beginning of their career to their end of the career within, again, leadership within your program, not from you, but from player to player? So, you know, in a perfect world, if we if we did our job perfectly our kids would not need us on game day, right? They should be able to function solely amongst themselves and, and make the decisions and mid-game adjustments with all the tools that they have um, gathered over the years, right? Both intellectually and physically being able to make those adjustments in a game. Um, unfortunately, I'm not quite there yet uh, with our players. Um, and And yet that's part of, what we are 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 trying to do. So as far as leadership goes, we want our players to communicate to each other. So for example, if there's a turnover and two people put their head down and they walk away, I said, hey, that's that's not helping. Talk to each other. Do you need the pass higher? Do you need a bounce pass? Fake a pass to make a pass. Why didn't we connect there? We aren't we aren't going to just correct it because now we decide it's going to be better next time. Um, if, if, if there is tensions are riding high in practice, you know, you say, Hey, you two need to talk, understand. We're trying to make each other better. She's not climbing over your back for any other reason than trying to grab a rebound. Right. And so getting them to communicate, hear themselves talk and to be able to um, receive peer feedback and to give peer feedback is so big because when you think about the pandemic and how much we hid behind screens and that personal interaction was lost and those social skills were stunted a little bit, um, we really ask our players to speak up in film sessions, in post-game, like we say, all right, give us the good, bad, the ugly. You know, what did we do well? What do we need to work on? Um, and just to get them to to speak the game, to uh, commend someone or call someone out, say, "Hey, you need to step in there. You got this. Get the next one." Um, 
So I think it's a it's a work in progress, and every I think every player leads, needs a little more uh, pushing or pulling in in the leadership category. But you know, we are developing leaders, not just jump shots. That's that's our job is to to get these these players to be uh, flourishing in the community at large, um, in the classroom, in their relationships. Uh, that's a really important component um, in which we believe we're teaching life lessons through athletics. That's what we believe. Well, it's awesome stuff. And we're getting a good picture of your program. And uh, within the program, then clearly there's players that have achieved a lot. However, we always think coaching talent is easy, but we also know, we know the benefits of coaching talent, but we also know there are challenges with coaching talent. So can you talk to us about some of the things that you've learned from coaching talent that maybe can help others who are, you know, just developing their philosophy of coaching really talented players? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at a scenario, like when I'm coaching the national team, you've got 12, 12 All-Americans, right? And so tell them, I say, hey, it's great. You're you're one of the best one-on-one players we've got, but this game is played with four other teammates. Um, and one thing that really resonated, it hasn't ever, it hasn't ever missed the mark with any player. It is simply this. If your shot attempts exceed all your other stats combined, then you're not, you're not fulfilling your capacity or potential as a player. So for example, if a player is is taking sh- 10 shots, they should have some steals and rebounds and assists that equal 10. And if if they are contributing in these other categories, then it's starting to paint a picture that they're playing a well-rounded game. And so that's one of the, the measuring tools that we try to talk about with, say, the national team or even with, you know, the All-Americans that we've coached here at Archbishop Mitty is, hey, look, if you're just jacking up shots and you're not contributing on the defensive end with steals or uh, you're not creating for your teammates, making the next best play, then you're kind of selling yourself short of your potential as a basketball player. Um, sort of like this, this uh, you know, someone will say, hey, I'm a, I'm a great basketball player. Well, if a student's getting an A in English, but an F in math, they're really just a good English student. They're not a good student. So if you think you're a good basketball player, when all you're doing is just making shots, you're actually a good shooter. You're not a good basketball player. And so if you want to be a really good basketball player, you've got to be able to fill up a stat sheet and contribute when the ball is not in your hands. Contribute um, not just with scoring, but with assists, with screen setting, with communication, leadership, all these things. That that can make these players impact the game in a in a, a much more um, impactful way. Um, so yeah, I can go on and on about it because it's it's so much more than a scoring average. And like with the national team, we talk a lot about like you know, are you the kind of teammate you want to have? And when you get to the next level, how do you think next level being college? Um, do you think you're just going to be permitted to shoot 25 times a game and not contribute in other ways, any, any other way, shape or form. Right. I love that. That, that example is gold coach. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I may get your phrasing wrong, but I think I read somewhere where you talked about higher standards as a gift, which goes hand in hand with this, isn't it as well? Absolutely. Um, having higher standards is a gift because essentially we're saying you're capable of doing that. And uh, it's also an incredible responsibility, right? Um, with, with that, those, those opportunities come great responsibility. And I think it's amazing to be able to have five players out there on the floor and we can, you know, assist on 75% of our baskets. That's kind of what we're trying to do when you, when you're coaching a McDonald's all American game or, a um, you know, a national team or a team that's got its share of some talented players and other players that are maybe not quite at that level, it's it's a great way to have those those uh, players who are a little more skilled, teach them how to pull the others along, you know, raise the floor, not just raise the ceiling for those kids, but have those marquee players learn how to raise the floor to pull those other along, those other players along 
so that the quality of basketball is is becoming better across the board. Um, I think it's it's we're we're selling ourselves short as coaches if we just highlight one player the whole time. Like it's a team. Coach, I can't wait to get you back to the basketball podcast, but I wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about immersionvideos.com. Have you checked out immersionvideos.com? Watch a NATO's practice and see how he has Alabama ranked in the top five nationally. Or get access to our new release featuring nine all-access practices from Alex Rama. Or other products from Tobin Anderson, Doug Novak, Dave Smart, Scott Morrison, Aaron Fern, Mark Cassio, Francisco Nanny, and more. Immersionvideos.com was created to provide value to coaches like you who are looking to stimulate their professional development by offering unique all-access tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. Go to immersionvideos.com and check it out today. It's a team. But also, and I imagine this is part of what you're saying too, it's okay to acknowledge that one player is better than another because chances are they're better because they've worked harder to get there. Is that part of the mindset too, to be able to acknowledge the work and effort that went into being an elite player? Yeah, I think, you know, being an elite player, sure, there's some God-given talent, right? There's some innate abilities uh, coming through the door, but I don't think anybody gets to that level by just snapping their fingers, clicking their heels, Of course. right? Um, and so if anyone uh, feels that the, there should be any resentment, if anything should embrace this notion that, wow, I have this great player on my team, what can I do to learn from them? How, how can they learn from their teammate who is not as skilled? Maybe that player who isn't as skilled might come to the table with a, with a better sense of like resiliency because they've struggled more. Right. They don't they don't have that that God given talent, um, haven't uh, received all these accolades. So they they might be a little more resilient than that that top star on the team. Um, and so I just think it's really important that you try to mesh the team and, and understand that we're all we're all building together collectively to be one fabric as opposed to just puzzle pieces. Right. We really want to mesh together to become one unit in every way, shape and form, shape or form. And I found the phrasing I wrote down for you that you said never apologize for wanting to be great. And and that's OK to have players that want to be great. Right. Yeah, I, I think uh, never apologize for being a winner. Never apologize yeah. for wanting to be great. Um, sure, you, you can't be a jerk about it, but wanting to be great is wanting to hear the truth, the brutal truth not just being applauded because you're working hard. Well, that's the price of admission at the door. You're expected to work hard. Um, coachable means that you're actually uh, welcoming feedback, you're digesting the feedback, and you're making the immediate correction, right? Coachable isn't just, you know, smiling when a coach gives you or nodding when a coach gives you feedback or working hard. That's not coachable. That's That's expected, right? Those kids that are extremely coachable are the ones who can make the immediate correction. They're welcoming feedback. They're looking for it. Um, and the great ones really want the brutal truth. They want to be told what they need to do to be better. I'm imagining that you've you've developed many strategies over the years, and I get asked this frequently, and I'm sure you do too, about managing parents and managing parents with expectations beyond the current realities. So can you offer some uh, input in terms of how you manage parents within your program? You know, I think um, with every year lends itself a different set of challenges and a different set of um, rewards, right? Because you, I, I've had my share of just wonderful parents. And then you have some some challenges. Um, I do think starting the year off with a parent meeting, parent and player meeting, and laying down the, the ground rules about the notion of what is, when is the appropriate time to contact the coach? Because I think, you know, some co some parents don't know. They, they'll walk up to you after an emotional game, good or bad, right? And that's that's just a recipe for disaster. So um, I tell parents, you know, give yourself the 24-hour rule. Um, and I typically do the same. So if there's, you know, a great win or a, a tough loss, we really should go ahead and craft that email, but put it in the save box and take a deep breath and... Um, you know, think twice before you put something over email because 
the tone and maybe what's truly trying to be conveyed isn't isn't quite delivered the same way in an email that it could be in a conversation. So I encourage our parents um, to try to have conversations versus emails. I encourage our parents to have their daughters talk to the coaches because I won't talk to parents about playing time. Just won't do it. They're not at practice. Now, if their daughter wants to talk about it, absolutely. They can sit down and I I love that we have 12 or 14 players, depending upon what a roster, want to be on the floor. Why would you not want to be on the floor? And there's, I don't begrudge a player if they're like, coach, I want to play more. Okay, let's talk about how that can happen. You know, tell me who you should guard on our next team. Who can you guard? You know, we're going to have, I'd say, you know, you're going to have those brutal conversations. So be prepared. Um, And if they say, well, coach, I can guard this kid if I take different angle and I can, I can, uh, I can, you know, I have an undersized post. I can guard this kid because I keep him off the boards. If they start talking to me from that, you know, I'm going to think twice about you know, how can I be more creative in finding the minutes? Because they've thought this through. They've thought about the ways in which they can help us um, on game day. So getting back to the parents, that parent meeting, player meeting, we're all there together. Um, I also think some of the, uh, some of the uh, things that are, that, how should I say this? Sometimes if a player and, and their, their daughter and their parent have more open communication, some things may not get missed on game day. So for example, they're only seeing game day and they're not necessarily having conversations over the course of the week about how practice is going. And so a parent might be upset, well, why didn't, you know, Joni play on Saturday? Well, Joni removed herself from practice the past two days because of X, Y, Z. And that doesn't prohibit her from playing, but I'm going to play the other kids that have been in practice. So um, I encourage our parents to um, talk to their daughters about um, when can we maybe have time to chat about life? Uh, Because I think the car ride home is probably the worst time to do it. Right. Definitely. Uh, (laughs) You know, and I, and I told them, I said, Hey, you know, I think if, if you let your daughter drive the conversation, you might actually get a little more information. Um, so we've had parents that and and players who talk on Sunday nights. You know, they have dinner and they they talk about basketball. Some families do it more than that, but having them communicate with your daughter, having an open door policy with your players, um, having very clear expectations that playing playing time is not guaranteed. We as a coaching staff will do the best we can uh, in the moments that we can um, at the varsity level. Uh, playing time will be more at a premium. But at the freshman and JV levels, we really do try to distribute the playing time a little more evenly. So we kind of give them those those heads up. Uh, Practices are mandatory. You know, really lay out what are the expectations? You know, hey, if you decide to go on vacation every day you miss, you're going to sit the next game. You know, that's that's part of the deal. So um, I think laying out the expectations um, and kind of the ground rules eliminates maybe uh, some tension down the road because there's there's no surprises. Um, and I think really reminding the parents that this is a partnership. We all want the same thing for your son or daughter to have a rewarding and worthwhile experience playing basketball in our program. And if we can if we can guard against this idea that the coaches, you know, we're adversaries, it's bananas, right? Just because maybe your kid's not playing as much that you would like. And I don't think I've ever played a kid as much as a parent would like in 30 years. I think, um, you know, it, it just, it's just, and you it never is. will. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, and, and, and to always, uh, remember that, um, you know, when you're in the stands, try to remind our parents that you are next to someone else's mom or dad or sister or brother. Um, and Ian, even even I have my loved ones in the stands that we all have to remember um, that we should be kind and supportive. No one is trying to to mess up. And I might I always get a good chuckle. I said, you know, it's like coaching from the stands. Think about how counterintuitive that is. If you were to sneak into my algebra class and I call on your daughter and say, OK, what is five times the quantity of X minus three? And you're yelling from the back, distribute the coefficient. <laughs> it, it would just, it sounds nuts, right? 
these real real life examples are needed to connect parents with understanding what it's actually doing because somehow it's become acceptable in sport to do that and it's not acceptable if you're doing surgery i'm not standing there telling you what to do and you're wrong yeah and and, and the other example i give which i think is is so poignant is this idea of okay we just called the timeout we've got a big lead um you've been working with your daughter on her shot and we got a big lead so we're not trying to jack a three so we're trying to work inside out and utilize some clock, okay? And then we're going to try to work inside out and still attack the basket. Well, all of a sudden, your daughter gets in, break out of the timeout, and you're yelling, shoot it. And we're yelling, you look inside. And all of a sudden, your daughter's there, her son has got their head on a swivel with the ball. What a disaster, right? The poor kid. Because we've got, and I try to explain, by, by coaching from the stand, you're really putting your son or daughter in a quandary. Right. It's it's just you're taking their freedom away from them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely great. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. And then, uh, you know, the the other part that uh, I want to come back to, because I think that's that's a huge part for especially developing coaches is understanding competitive intensity. And you referenced your competitive intensity as being real and authentic. So talk to us a little bit about how you manage that and maybe how it's evolved over the years, as you said, from this carrot and stick approach to now the modern era. Right. Like, you know, our intensity and our competition is, is built strictly on standards and whether that's a time, whether that's a number. Um, and so the tone is very direct and intense, but it's never demeaning. And our instructed, our instruction is prescriptive, prescriptive. So for example, if if you see a coach beside themselves on the on the sideline yelling rebound, you're not giving them any type of instruction. You're just yelling at them to rebound. Okay. Versus saying something like block out, find a body, swim or spin. You know, you're now instructing them with some kind of prescriptive feedback that allows them to make the adjustment and be successful, right? Or, you know, you see a coach screaming because they're competitive. Quit turning the ball over. Well, <laughs> okay. How about fake a pass to make a pass? How about jump stop? How about, you know, if we could just, uh, you can still be intense and still want to win a game, but think about what it is exactly you're saying, you know, choose your words wisely. What is it you're trying to convey? Are you trying to convey your frustration or are you trying to convey correction? Because if we can convey correction, then your tone can be managed by your players because they know you're just a fiery individual. But your your language is appropriate and your message is actually spot on. Right? And I think that to me, in a nutshell, is the huge distinction between the two. Convey correction, prescription. I could not agree more. I've been on this for the last year at every clinic I speak at, just telling like telling a player to make a layup gives them no information at all. Sure. Telling them to set a better screen gives them no information at all. Give them prescriptive information. So I'm so glad you said that. And then that is okay to be intense in those situations is what you're saying, because your players now understand that you are trying to help them. Right. And, and I often talk about match my intensity because we we are really big on on mental agility and mental agility for us is the ability to switch gears quickly whether that's you know offense to defense or all of a sudden there was a quick switch defensively and you're able to manage that mismatch you're able to see it and deliver the basketball where it needs to be and so in practice we do a rapid fire drill where we're just barking like switching offenses quickly switching defenses quickly and seeing if I can rev them up between the ears so that they're learning how to calm the waters between the ears. And, you know, there are other times where I'm like, match, match the intensity, match the level of speed that we're thinking. And so it's not a, it's not a bad thing, right? When we're talking about match the intensity, no one's mad, right? No one's angry. No one's a bad person. We're just fired up and intense. Like we are ready to go get the basketball and we are determined and fired up to compete. But it's not go kill the other team. That's never the message, right? We're not, 
No one's mad. No one wants to hurt somebody else. But it is, let's go compete. Like you've got to, you've got to love to compete more than you fear fatigue or fear mistakes or whatever that is. You've got to love being in that moment of of great competition than you fear the outcome. Right? Like whether you win or lose, that's not the point. Because winning and losing is a byproduct of how you conduct your business. Right? You know, we win more than our share. We have an embarrassment of 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 uh success here. And yet I'm not going to apologize for it because I know I work my tail off. Right? As do my kids. And it's it's just this I'm very passionate about it. I think uh, the the mental approach to coaching and the mental approach to playing is so often overlooked because it truly is how someone operates between the ears, whether or not uh, they can overcome a setback or not. And basketball is that it's a series of setbacks. Well, you shared your uh, schedule with me, so I know you're definitely earning it, Coach. Uh, you got a lot of different things going on, obviously, in a day and managing the program and teaching math and all the different things that go with it. I also love your overload philosophy where you're going to overload players. I know one area that you've had to become more of an expert on over the years is this overload of hype and social media and managing expectations and all these different rankings and all those different things. So can you give us your best practices and advice for managing the hype? that surrounds players nowadays? Yeah, I think it's it's a it's part of the world we live in, right? Um but a number next to your name isn't going to impact impact the quality of your life. Um we are not chasing a number as a program. We are not chasing uh and players shouldn't be chasing a particular accolade or um, a rank, they should be championing themselves, chasing, getting better, chasing this idea of trying to be great and, and everything else will fall into place. It's like, I I heard, um, Kara Lawson the other day talk about chasing wins. Couldn't be more true, right? Chasing wins. And, and, and while we talk about winning, we talk more about competing because I think if you just focus on winning, we at times can get get lost. Like I will never sac my sacrifice my integrity for a win. If a kid is late and misses the bus, they're not starting. And if that impacts the outcome of the game, well, shame on us for not having, you know, the other group ready to go. I I think um it's important we mentor our players because social media is part of what they do. So we talk about if you're going to do the social media route that remember nothing is ever private. And that um, you do want to build a brand, one that you're proud of, that's positive, that also um, sheds some positive lights on on other people. Compliment your teammates, compliment the opponent. Um, Try to remember that we are in the business of focusing on the positive things that we do, but to also commend others when they do a job well, too. Right? we we do now uh, on road trips have to take the phones away because they can't help themselves. Um, and I think some when of that do you do that when they go on the bus, they go in the hotels or where? Big, big question. We we don't allow phones on the bus because we want them socializing and, and being with their friends. Mm-hmm. Similarly, we don't we don't allow headphones during warm ups. Music we we play music. Um, and at dinner, team meals, phones are not out. Um. And uh, at night, we'll take the phones, you know, have them contact their parents, let them know what the hotel number is. My assistant will collect the phones, you know, at a reasonable hour, then lights out. And I'm sure kids can get other devices. And and the idea is it also allows us to be the scapegoat. Hey, sorry, I couldn't text. Sorry, I couldn't. My coach took my phone. I'm not allowed to be on the phone. So we actually get to be the excuse for them, which, you know, I've never... I've never had our team, our team has more fun on bus rides. They're singing, they're talking, they're playing games. It's, it's, it's the joy that you hear in the interaction amongst the teammates that is just, it's priceless. And, and that's, 
Well, we're hoping that they go back years later and remember the, the jokes and the fun that they had. Um, interacting with one another, not texting each other. Well, I love it. Like, it's not better. It's not worse. It's the reality of this time. And yeah. and for me, it's the equivalent to I need to create free play opportunities for my players because they don't go play pickup on their own as much. Well, that's because we organize everything for them. So that's an equivalent example in terms of you taking away their phones so they have to interact with each other. And they they actually enjoy interacting with each other, I imagine, don't they? No question. No question. And I love your point about free play. Um, the first two months of school, we we just play pickup. There is a there's a, um, a policy put in place that we're allowed four on ones a certain amount of time per week. And we just say, no, you're going to get in the weight room and lift. You're going to condition and then you're going to go play pickup, go play basketball. Um, you guys call your fouls, run whatever offense, work any two player game you want to work on, whatever it is you want to do, just better. And they really enjoy it. And Kids don't go to the park and play anymore. And some of that is, unfortunately, the world we live in. Sometimes it's not safe or or they just um, their day is structured so much now. It's just not uh, part of uh, it's not an opportunity. They don't have those opportunities, I don't think, for whatever for whatever reason. It just isn't the case. And so kudos to you for creating free play, because I just I love that idea. Yeah, we got to do it nowadays. And you mentioned something there about uh, rules around state associations or, you know, within your area and whatnot. I, I, I'm i not sure I have an opinion, but I'm curious from someone with your success. Have we gone too far with limiting opportunities for players if they want to get better at basketball? Uh, is the same limitation on them if in music or different things like this? Do you agree with it? Do you think we've gone too far? You know, I think there's there's a there's a lot of. Um, a lot of things, it's tough because, you know, the CIF, California is such a big state. And so they give a lot of um, uh, flexibility to each section. And I, I I don't know if we have 11 or 13 sections, whatever it is, it's quite a few. So the section commissioners get to create and their governing bodies create these different rules and policies. And so, you know, we have a start date in November, whereas Southern California starts the first day of school. and so. Yeah, I mean we're 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 competing against that same team for a state championship. So are are we at a disadvantage? Probably a little bit. Um, our game limitations are different. Um, the transfer rules are different. Um, and I'm I'm a I'm a I believe we should follow the kind of the college model. But, and I and I I know it's a little nutty the transfer portal, but uh, I'm of the belief if a, if a kid is not happy at a school or a situation, a program, allow them a transfer. Um, and it's become punitive. They're taking it out on the athletes. Um, we've had kids live our program, and I hope they're eligible right away, right? I think uh, kids should be able to play regardless of the sport. Now, if the kids- I agree with that, by the way. I I think that's crazy that they can't transfer and play right away. Yeah, and I and I think it's it's- if a kid is transferring every every sports season or every year, then yeah, I think there needs to be um, some type of corralling. Or if a school is just a hotbed for transfers, then I think there should be some uh, some eyebrows raised. Sure, um, but yeah, it's it's and I and I Chris, it's tough because I do think at some point there there should be some parameters around how much kids do because then you don't want the overuse injuries and the um, you know, uh, the unsavory actors in this where they're trying to make a turn a buck or yeah. get a college job. Unfortunately, that already exists regardless of yeah. the rules. <laughs> yes. You know, but speaking to common sense, I mean, which you brought up a number of times in this podcast, even the example that you said, you can work with them in the fall, but them playing free play and them getting to play this unstructured pickup is incredibly beneficial for your program. And some might think coaching them would be the benefit, but to to be honest, probably them doing this helps you more than uh, not. And that's common sense to me. Yes, I I um I often um grapple or or kind of like go back and forth with some of these high school coaches who have uh, club programs in the fall. I don't I don't run my club program in the fall, the high school level that is, because I don't I don't want an overuse injury. I don't I don't want to have a club program to circumvent the rules. Um, I think 
playing open gym is perfect for them being in the weight room and then having some off days. I mean, this is, is considered the off season. So uh, rest is, is equally important as training. Um, and, you know, we've, we had over 30 division one coaches, not just division one, but coaches come through our gym for open gym. So, you know, some people say, well, you want to want your kids to go to those exposure tournaments. Well, I think they're getting plenty of exposure at open gym. They're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, so yeah, the free play is huge. So important. Coach, a big challenge in our game is keeping officials or getting officials, new officials to come into our game. And, uh, you know, personally, why would I ever officiate nowadays if I have to deal with all the different potential pitfalls of officiating? So maybe first talk to us as coaches about advice and handling officials and, uh, you know, creating a better environment for an official to be able to officiate our games. And then beyond that, just the bigger picture. Yeah, I think um, so glad you asked that question. I think before the game, as as you are handshaking with the officials, I do think it's important to exchange pleasantries and let them know that you're both there trying to um, manage a game for the kids, that we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to create an atmosphere that's positive for everyone involved. And as early in the game, I will purposely ask one of the officials, what did you see so that I can tell my player so we can teach her? So there is, I'm not questioning the call. I'm I'm asking so that I can learn and then convey the message as opposed to why is that a foul or how is that a foul? What did you do? You know, how, you know, try to have them see it's a partnership in management of the game. And I think the officials appreciate that. And if we can have uh, officials have a positive experience officiating your game, I think that goes a long way in terms of keeping that particular crew in the game. And then also maybe it it, it encourages someone else to do it. Um, and as part of our pay- player and parent meeting, we talk about how we should treat the officials. The officials are part of the deal. They are helping us play the game. And so they too have loved ones in the stands. And we want to be a classy program that um, isn't harassing the officials because of a call. It's not the officials' fault that we lost the game because we missed 10 free throws, right? Like, not their fault. So officials rarely determine the outcome of a game. People may want to focus on the last call. But a game in high school is 32 minutes. So a bunch of stuff occurred. And as much as someone might want to point towards the officiating of a game, that's part. It has it really very rarely completely determines the outcome. Such great perspective. I mean, to to be able at the end of the game, thank the officials, thank the opponent, thank the opposing coach, because without them, we don't have this game. Exactly. And so I really think it's important as coaches that we extend the olive branch per se um, and have that officiating crew walk away saying, that was great. I want to officiate that coach's game again, right? If the whole time you're yelling travel, you know, uh, foul, it's you're doing their job, right? And, and, and I have to catch myself sometimes when I, I do that. And I will say, sorry, I missed that one. I need, I'll coach my team. So if you, it, it, when an official says they missed a call and they tell you that, doesn't that go a long way with you? It goes a long way, right? So if, if I've said something that I think was like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I'm just going to apologize, say sorry. Competition doesn't always bring out the best in me. And we chuckle, we smile, and we move on. So being able to own those moments with an official goes a really long way. And I think right now where it's it's um, we've got to do our best to to take care of the officials we have and and encourage others to get a part of our game. Otherwise, we're going to have one man officiating, one man, woman officiating crews. I couldn't agree more. Great perspective. And I, and I kind of smile as you're talking, because I remember and I know you've coached internationally. Coaching internationally helped me deal with officials more than anything because often English was their second or third language. So it didn't matter. They didn't understand me anyway. So I just learned how to sit down and shut up. <laughs> so funny. Isn't that true? 
It's so true. I was a better, better uh, coach internationally because they didn't understand. Right. It's, uh, right. it's great. Right. Coach Phillips, I mean, I cannot thank you enough for uh, sharing the game with us and all you've done in service of the game. Just an incredible career. And I know it's going to continue on, but uh, thanks for taking the time and sharing with us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about basketballimmersion.com. Why do so many coaches coach like it was 20 years ago? Technology, research, innovation have all expanded our understanding of teaching, coaching, and learning. Change can be hard to accept, but with an open mind and willingness to learn, it is possible. This is what Basketball Immersion has done for so many coaches. Coaches at all levels of basketball from around the world have stimulated their coaching development using the Basketball Immersion membership community. Embrace the change that will impact your players and team beyond anything you can imagine. Join our Basketball Immersion community at basketballimmersion.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.